Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Bleed Los Podcast. It is your boys, Alonso y Juan, with the babyface gimmick in the sky, Roger. Hope you guys are doing well. Don't know what day of the, of the week it is for you, what night, what day, whatever. Whatever it is, I hope you're having a fantastic one because we're this much closer to Dodgers baseball. I'm actually excited because this week's, uh, this week's format's a little different. We had an interview this week with, uh, with our friend Rafael Arroyo, uh, some of you may know him as Rock System uh, on the uh, on the interwebs, but he's been working with uh, with the likes of Oliver Perez, uh, El Cochito, uh, and of course Julio Diaz, and that's why we have him on the podcast to discuss uh, the, all things Julio Diaz. We, we've we've talked about him quite a bit on here uh, as as we've kind of gotten stuff going, and I'm super excited to see what he does this season. Um, I, I'm personally of the party thinking that this is a you know I think the World Series. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think the World Series was kind of his, uh, you know, kind of his, uh, his breakout party of the year, right? You know, but I think this is going to be his breakout season. This is where I think we see the uh, the complete Julio Diaz and and Rafael kind of goes into detail with that, some of the stuff that they worked on, uh, some of the improvements that they made, etc. So uh, it was it was super super cool insight as to kind of seeing, you know, a little bit of behind the scenes stuff that that goes on in the off season because it's you know it's it's a grind, right? So uh, you have to have your body right, you have to have your mind right, all that jazz. So super interesting to see to hear Rafael kind of break that down, and uh, and you know again he has an interesting story too that uh, that we thought we'd share because baseball is all about a variety of, of upbringings and and you know rags to riches stories things like that right. So and he's he's another example of of you know the grind, getting yourself into a position of of success if you will, uh, in baseball and that's you know. That's always good to hear. So especially right now during this weird time that we're all in, it's always good to hear some positivity. But this uh, this interview and this week's episode of the Bleed Los podcast is brought to you by our friends at FOCO. Our good friends at FOCO have all of the tightest merchandise, Dodgers, Lakers, Rams, anything Los Angeles, any, any fandom really. They all have it. They have it all. Bobbleheads. Moccasins. I've talked about that. Shirts, robes, they have everything. Whatever you want, check it out. Uh, for being a listener for this here podcast, in the description, there's a link. If you click on that bad boy, it'll take you to their website. Add whatever you want to the cart. And for being a listener to said podcast again, then you get a discount. And that's that. Terms and conditions do apply. Please see their website for the for uh, for their details. But huge thanks to them for the consideration and for bringing you this interview with Rafael Arroyo. So without further ado, here's our boy, Rafael Arroyo of The Rock System. And uh, this week we have a guest, our first guest, and uh, it one, it's one that kind of pertains to a lot of stuff that we've been talking about as far as pitching goes. So we're super uh, humbled and, uh, and appreciative for the time 
uh, Rafael Arroyo, uh, who has worked with uh, with many pitchers, uh, including one Julio Diaz. Uh, but Rafael, thanks for joining us. How are you doing, man? Good, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a it's a pleasure and it's an honor to be on here, talk baseball with you guys. No, I appreciate it. You know what? I, I always find uh, bullpen catchers interesting because they always have the best stories. So, I uh, real quick before we dive into Julio, I kind of wanted to hear a little bit of how you know, kind of how you ended up as a, as a bullpen catcher. And then from there, you know, kind of where you're at now. Okay. Yeah. Kind of a long story, but I'll, I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Um, so I, I signed with the, with the New York Mets in 2004. I was a 26 round draft pick uh, out of Cal state LA. And I played uh, from 2004 all the way up until spring training, 2010. Uh, you know, just as you guys know, man, this game gets harder and harder as you go up. So Right around double A was where I kind of got a rude awakening and a little bit. I had a couple of stints in triple A. So that's, you know, a different level, a little bit harder. So I started to realize that, you know, I, I just struggled to hit, you know, defensively. I was I was a good I was one of the better catchers, I think, in, in, in the organization. So towards the end, like 2009 season, I struggled a lot and I was like, man, what's what am I going to do next? So. I, you know, training has always been a passion of mine, you know, given my size, I always had to kind of be my own trainer through college and through the minors. So 2010, I go into camp and I get released uh, at the very end of camp. And they asked me if I wanted to coach, but I I wasn't sure if I wanted to coach. It was kind of fresh, you know, with so many emotions, I I didn't want to be that bitter, you know, coach that, you know, just couldn't separate being a player to a coach. So I went home. And Terry Collins at the time was our minor league coordinator. And he called me and he said, hey, uh, Sandy Alomar Jr. was one of the bullpen catchers. And he just got a job with Cleveland as a first coach. Manny Acta took him over to Cleveland. So they asked me if I wanted to be the bullpen catcher. And this happened quick. So opening day is a Monday. They called me on a Friday afternoon, said if I wanted to do it. And I said, hell yes. (laughs) You know, let's go, man. One of the things that we said is any big league job, you don't ever want to turn down. So uh, Saturday, I call them back. I say, yes, Sunday I'm on a plane and Monday morning is opening day 2010 against the Marlins. So I did that for one year. I was a bullpen catcher for one year in 2010. It was, man, I was literally living the dream, you know, living in New York. And at that time, uh, there was a pitcher named Oliver Perez who was in the second year of his contract. Uh, It was a three-year, $36 million deal. Uh, he had a rough first year of the deal. The second year was when I was there in t- uh, 2010 and it, it went, you know, things went sour down there or up there in New York. And he asked me, he decided he was going to play winter ball that off season. So this is winter ball, 2010, 11. And he said, Hey, would you come down with me? You know, you're, you're open catcher. Obviously you love working out. You know, I, I need somebody to go down there and, and help me out. And, and the pitching coach at the time was Dan Warden. And he said, Hey, you know, it'd be a good idea if you go down there. So I was kind of at the time, you know, kind of being, uh, you know, kind of chaperoning him, I guess. And I was just sending the Mets messages as to what I, what we were doing down there. And, and it kind of just, that's how it started. You know, it was just, it was just a fluke thing where, Hey, come help me out. Uh, so I helped them, you know, train with what I knew at the time. And uh, you know, about a year and a half later, he re-signed with Seattle and we got his velocity up about 10 miles an hour from, you know, 86, 87 to 96, 97. And, and I think that's where it grew. So that was, uh, I guess that was my path into the strength and conditioning, uh, the training, and then plus the catching with the guys. That was my path to where I'm at now. Hey, Rafael, it's Juan. Uh, I just wanted to follow up. Uh, you're, you're, rep, you're wearing a hat right now, repping my two favorite teams. <laughs> and you went to Cal State LA. 
So are, are you are you from LA? Well, I mean, what part of town or what what part of Southern California are you from? If you're from Southern California, but also, can you talk about the transition of a Southern California kid going to New York? Oh wow, yeah, actually, yeah. So eight one eight kid. I was born in uh, I was born in Northridge. I was raised in Panorama City. So San Fernando Valley is you know what I what I represent. I'm a proud you know Dodger fan, proud uh, Laker fan, and. Uh, you know, being a California kid, actually, even before New York, you know, anytime you step into the East Coast, there's this hate towards anybody yeah. from California, especially, <laughs> especially Southern California. So it, it was it was uh, it was a big transition, man. It was tough at first uh, because, you know, we go from kind of laid back, you know, beach. Everybody's kind of cool to the hustle and bustle of buildings and everybody just. You know, now what I want to say, New Yorkers are, you know, they're not rude. They're just misunderstood, but they're, they have that hustler's mindset and it's say, Hey, how you doing? You know, time is money to them. So it was like super fast, you know, atmosphere in New York. So that was a, that was a tough transition as far as, you know, the nightlife and the restaurants, the food, the diversity, all of that was the same, but it was just how, you know, the frequency over there, you had to turn it up a little bit or, or at least try to calm down because it is, it is a fast life over there. Does it change you? Because I, I've had some friends who have done the coast, right? They go from yeah. LA to go to New York and then they come back and they're like, dude, I don't like who I am anymore. I feel like I'm mean. <laughs> I'm aggressive. It, did that happen to you? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's crazy because you become your environment, whether you, you know, whether you consciously, you know, feel it or not. And you do, man, you become more aggressive. So there are good things to, to that lifestyle, but also, uh, there was a point, I don't know what anxiety was, or I never, I still don't know what it is, but I think, <laughs> I, you know, I, I got that because of that, because everything was just so confined and, and moving fast and, you know, just driving. There was never like a time where you could just like take a deep breath. And that's what it felt like, man. And actually funny story, we had an off day. It was a Monday, New York. Uh, it was a weekend series, off day Monday, and then another home, home series. I literally drove myself to Jones beach up in long Island just to get away because of that. You know, it was like, man, how do I, how do I stop this hamster wheel, man? I, I just needed to slow down. And I, I drove myself over there. I just like, just, just to breathe and relax. <laughs> so it does. Well, and, and a part of that, that, uh, that's a little different for you too, is how, as far oh, as adjusting as far from, as adjusting. you know, bullpen catcher to essentially, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, almost like a roving instructor, almost, you know, in the way that the system is set up, how, how much of an adjustment was it for you going from kind of from that end to that end when that transition ended up happening? You know what, it was, it was a little tough uh, because I think because I had played and I was still fresh, you know, from being a player, I was, you know, a couple of weeks removed. And then some of the guys in the big leagues at the time were guys that I played with, you know, just the year before. So it was tough in the sense of like we had guys like Francisco Rodriguez and Johan Santana, you know, right. I saw those guys as gods. And then we had a Bobby Parnell, John Neese, you know, Daniel Murphy, where it was like, I played with these guys. So it was, the spectrum was pretty, you know, it was pretty wide as far as like, man. So every guy kind of approached a little differently and I didn't want to be, again, I didn't, these guys as a bullpen catcher, you're kind of considered staff. And I think the knowledge that I had as a player, I was able to help with some of the pitchers meetings and things like that. So just trying to find a way to separate, you know, where I could be a buddy to you, but then, or I can be a coach or I can be, you know, your catcher and, and kind of just show you or explain to you what I see with certain pitches. Uh, I know Ike Davis was one of the guys who got called up that year. And 
it was hard because we have rules, you know, where I can't, he's, I'm a bullpen catcher. He's a player. We can't go out together, you know? So those are the tough things that I, that we had to kind of make the adjustment with. No, oh, so it, hey, it, Rafael, it, let me jump in real quick. So that's interesting. So bullpen catchers, you can't mix with the rest of the players. I mean, are you guys like ostracized from the rest of the, of the team? <laughs> or, so are you guys like not really considered part of the team? I've always been curious because, you know, whenever there's a brawl happening, I see the people running out from the bullpen. So as a bullpen catcher, can you not run on the field to, to, you know, stand up for your boys? Well, by rule, we're not supposed to, and we could get in trouble for that or we could get fined. There was an incident in New York uh, where there was a bench clearing brawl or something close to it. And we ran out, me and the other bullpen catcher and the umpires grabbed us like, hey, you guys need to get out of here. But uh, if there is a fine, you know, the players will take care of it. And when it comes to, you know, they want to separate that. They want to separate the staff with the players. So even with the seating on the plane, you know, it goes media, it goes coaching staff and then the bullpen catchers. And then, so I had, <clears throat> I had like Jose Reyes right behind me and then the players towards the end. And then, so then the guys in the back of the plane are kind of the guys who want to play cards, the guys in the middle, you know, are the guys that kind of want to rest. So yeah, we, we, we are to be separate from them. But, uh, you know, there's there's a little wiggle room. It depends, you know, on who you kind of hang with or, you know, there was one time where I did go on the players bus as uh, kind of they did a rookie hazing thing with us. So me being the first year guy, they kind of considered me with the rookies. So I had to go on the players bus. And, you know, some of the staff was just like, hey, you know, just be careful with that. We're not you know, we're not ripping you for that. But, you know, Johan Santana told me to go. So then he kind of put an end to it. He's like, hey. Don't worry about it, man. I got you. So it's, but I, but I, but I'm not allowed to go there just by myself. You know what I'm saying? So it's one of those I things. I mean, and if push comes to shove, someone will probably kangaroo court you and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. They won't do that. The players, the players are awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. But the, well, that's what I'm saying. Know, the, the, play, the players that is like some, just because that's just, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, they always yeah. have that one random player that always wants to roast someone. So, I mean, that, that wouldn't right. surprise me either. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious, you know, uh, uh, you know, I know you, you mentioned that you worked with, uh, with Oliver Perez, OP, uh, and he, he, I feel like he's been in the show for like 34 years. Like he's just been here for so long and his longevity is insane. And a, and a, a part of the, the longevity apparently is when you started working with him, what, what, what kind of changed as far as his routine and, and his, his training regimen kind of getting ready every year going to the spring. Cause I even feel like his velocity has increased too. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, like I said, when we started in 2010-11, he was beat down a little bit mentally. So I think the first thing that we had to work on was his mindset. Um, you know, being in New York and, and, and getting, you know, crucified by the media and, you know, not living up to the contract, man. That was a, just a mental beating for him, an emotional beating, too. So we kind of just both started at ground zero. And we said, OK, where did we go wrong? Or kind of looking at his career, where did he go wrong? So what I did is I started looking at film when he was with the Padres, when he was throwing 97, 98 miles an hour, came up as a phenom 20 year old. And I saw differences in his mechanics. So we attacked the physical part as far as the mechanics go. We changed up his diet and then we changed up his strength training routine, which he only lifted during the year when he was with the Mets. But in the off seasons, it was really just play catch and run. You know, that was the old school way to do it. Just long toss and, and run distance. So we incorporated some, some strength training. And once I saw his body start to change, you know, the mechanics got better and then the confidence started to grow. And so those were the things, the adjustments that he made, um, you know, he, 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 he changed his lifestyle. 
You know, he, he shut down alcohol. He shut down, you know, all the, all the bad food and, and he made a change and, and that's what it was, man. He, he gained, you know, like I said, 10 miles an hour in, in about a year and a half. No. So I'm starting to sense a little pattern here, Rafael. Do you only work with culiches? I mean, <laughs> I mean, Oliver is a Culiacan, Julio de Culiacan. I mean, have you just cornered the market in Sinaloa or what, what's going on? <laughs> no, well, see, I was, I'm, I don't know. It's, it's, I was blessed with actually going there. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of segue into how Julio got in the picture. Uh, after about a couple of years down there, you know, we started to make a little noise when he signed with Seattle, then he went back. And I think the whole Kulichi thing, man, was just, you know, it was in the script. I, I have no, really no explanation how Ollie was the first Kulichi and, and we made that transformation. And then Julio being an up and coming prospect with the Dodgers, you know, and he reached out to me through social media, asked if he could work out with us. Uh, and I said, you know, I, I'd never heard of him. Um, and then guys kind of said, oh yeah, he's just, he just got signed by the Dodgers last year. And so when I met him and the way he, you know, the way he speaks with respect, it was, it was unbelievable. And I was like, I, told, I asked Ollie, I said, Hey, do you mind? He goes, no, man, bring him on. So that's just, you know, the Kulichi way, the Mexican way of, you know, the unity and, uh, no, but I, there's a lot of talent down there, man. I'll say that. And there, there was other Kulichis that I've worked with as well. Guys that, you know, pitch in the big leagues and guys that pitch in the minors. So it is a hotbed. I will say that. And I tell a lot of people this, it's untapped down there. There is a lot of talent when it comes to baseball. It's a baseball city. And when you started working with Julio, obviously, you know, he was pretty young and he, you know, he's still young. I mean, that people forget how young he still is. Cause again, he's kind of like Ollie where he's been around forever. Um, you know, Julio, by the way, I mean, and I know it's a, you're, you're going to go into it, but obviously we saw the pictures of him showing up to, to camp this year. Looks to be in great shape. looks like, you know, he, the ball is coming great out of his hand. And there's one thing that I noticed, but I won't say it on here just because I don't want to tip anything, but, um, but, it, but it, it, there, you know, it, his mechanics are definitely sound. Can you tell us at least what you can tell us what you worked on with him in the off season to kind of get him to, to the, you know, the, the chiseled specimen that he is now, if you will. Yeah, well, he's, you know, physically over the last, you know, three, four seasons. So I've exclusively worked with him the last two off seasons. And then the ones before that was just kind of not enough when, when, when I did have a chance, you know, when Ollie and I, um, kind of crossed paths with Julio. So for the last two years, I, I stopped working with Ollie and I started more exclusively with Julio and a little bit of Luis Sessa with the Yankees. But uh, so the thing with Julio, man, he's even as a 17, 18 year old, his mechanics have been very good. You know, he was uh, I spoke on another podcast earlier last or last last week, and I said how Julio was so good so soon where you know, sometimes even the Dodgers, maybe, you know, they don't know what to do with him when he was younger and, you know, the Dodgers being stacked with starting pitching. It was a tough thing for Julio. And so he was already advanced. Um, the things that we that we do work on, obviously, are his, you know, his body, his, you know, his weight. Um, but he moves very well. So th there was there was a couple of tweaks that we did uh, with the positioning of his feet um, when it comes to his mechanics, just trying to make everything tighter. I know Oral Hershweiser had talked about it. Uh, over the last couple of years, how, you know, sometimes when he's on, his mechanics are really tight. And when he's off a little bit, there's, you know, there's little leakages here and there. So those were some of the things where uh, physically he's he's gotten stronger. Now he's 24 years old. So he's kind of grown into that man body. Um, and then now it's just the fine details of the mechanics. And and uh, the so, yeah, we could uh, I guess we worked on a uh, couple of different training methods. Nothing too crazy, because, like I said, he's he's very sound mechanically. So it was, uh, it was all good. It was, it was a great off season. And now, so, hey, Rafael, oh, go ahead. can I just jump in real quick? Rafael, I keep hearing 
you know, that they're going to finally take off the leash on Julio this year and they're going to let him there. There won't be any innings limit. But then I heard Mark Pryor said, well, we, we still got to be careful. So I do you I mean, uh, uh, this is a two part question. Uh, one is, I mean, what what do you expect from Julio this year? Like, do, do you think he's just going to be a starter this full season or are we going to see him uh, out of the bullpen? And then also, do you have a different approach uh, training a pitcher as opposed to a, a, a positional player? OK, yeah. So for me, Julio he's built up as a starter, you know, that's the way he's been throwing training and all of that. Um, the Dodgers just being so stacked. I think, um, you know, they're going to be very dynamic with, you know, how they, you know, they got so many guys, so they got a lot of moving parts. I, I hope they leave him as a starter. Um, I know that he's physically capable of, you know, making his 30 starts a year. Now with what Pryor had said, I know that I'll, I also know that he hasn't thrown more than X amount of innings. So he hasn't really been stretched out where he has made the 30 starts in a year. So I think they're going to, they're going to be creative with it and just see how he progresses, you know, after 10 starts, after 15 starts. And then it's, it's kind of a communication thing where how Julio's feeling physically, if he's feeling good, maybe they, they drag him on a little longer and then come playoff time, then they could get a little creative kind of what they did last year you know, where they throw him in the bullpen or he has that, he has the stuff to, to put fear in those hitters late in the game and become that stopper, you know, which is what the Dodgers kind of needed last year. So it all worked out well. Uh, so the, I think they're going to be creative with it. And I, and for me personally, and I know what he wants, you know, I, I hope he's, he's a starter. He stays as a starter. I hope the bullpen does their job so we don't have to move these parts, but uh, you know, baseball is baseball, man. You got to play the games and, and we'll see what happens with the other starters and, and how everything else unfolds. And as far as the training for a pitcher, yeah, it is, it is a little different. Uh, the foundation, usually when I get a guy and we start in November, December, that's pretty similar, you know, where, you know, I get these guys, I want to hydrate them. I want to, you know, detox them a little bit, get the fruits in there, kind of try to electrify the body. And then from there, if we get a guy like Julio, if he says, you know, I want to lose 10, 15 pounds. So we attack him a little different. We get a guy like Sessa. And he says, I want to gain strength. So then we attack him a little different in January or even a guy like Ollie. Um, a couple of years back, I worked with uh, Cochito Cruz. So he was a you know position player. So he was a little different where he personally didn't like the heavy lifting. He wanted to be more dynamic, more athletic. So, yeah, each guy kind of has their own little uh, twist at the end of the training camp. I'm kind of curious to hear from you since you've seen it kind of firsthand from from, you know, that that coaching position. With, with the, the adjustments that you made with him, what do you think is his best pitch right now? As fastball. <laughs> uh, the way I rank him, his fastball, obviously you know, his breaking ball and his changeup. But you know what? His, his breaking ball uh, and his changeup, his changeup has come a long way where it is, it's nasty, man. And, and he, he's, he it has this split action to it, which is crazy. And this is, again, this is just his talent, his mechanics. I don't know the way it comes out of his hand, but, you know, obviously his fastball. I think, you know, your bread and butter's, you know, the, the, the heater. And if you look at, you know, how he dominated the, the Braves and, and the uh, Tampa Bay Rays was the fastball. And it was the confidence and the belief in that fastball. So, you know, I think that's always going to be the best pitch. Um, but his, his, his curveball and, and his, or, you know, just call it a breaking ball because it's kind of an in-between uh, I know last year he, he fought a little bit with trying to throw a slider cutter slash, you know, a curveball. And halfway through the year last year, he just decided to throw his his breaking ball. 
And so I thought, you know, fastball, breaking ball, change up. Cause that breaking ball, I feel like it's more, it's like a cutter slider almost. Well, other way it'd be, but it's like a cutter slider almost, but the, the, the end movement on it is filthy. It's dirty. And yeah. it, what's, and what's insane about it is like when you, when you see like his arm slot where it's coming out, it doesn't come out of like a spot where you would expect it to be that sort of a pitch. You know what I mean? Um, so, so that, I mean, his, his deception's always been good uh, in general, even from a young age. And then now, as you said, as he grows into this man body working on, on his mechanics, it's, it's just tightened up and it's, it's insane just how good his stuff is in general. Uh, but one thing that I was curious, do you, was he able to add any velocity on, on the heater or is it still the same? Uh, it's, it's still the same. I know coming up, he was, you know, 94, it, it would, it would range a little differently, like 94, 97, 97, I think was the fastest he's ever thrown it. Um, but now that range has become a little tighter, you know, where, where now he can gauge if I need to go, you know, 94, 95, I can, I have that. And then if I need to go 96, 97, he has that. So I think it's becoming more familiar with his mechanics, more familiar with his body. And then obviously the, the hitter and the, the situation of the game will dictate when he has to, you know, reach back a little more. Uh, but his spin is, is incredible, man. His spin on the breaking ball and the spin on the fastball is, is it's heavy. It's tight. Uh, that's the best way I could describe it. It's deceptive also because he has a clean delivery. Um, last year he struggled a little bit with the windup. And I think he, you know, he, towards the end, he just shut it down. So he went exclusively from the stretch because if you remember after he got hurt and he had surgery, you know, it had been about two years since he really got on the mound from the windup. So it was just one of those things that he had a battle. And like I tell people, it's like, you know, imagine being a switch hitter and you only hit right-handed for a year and a half or two. And then you come back and you, you try to hit, you know, left-handed it's, you're going to, you're going to struggle a little bit. So that's, that's what happened last year. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, back to that, it's, he understands his body. He understands his pitches and he can manipulate that breaking ball where he can make it a little more slurvish, a little more curveballish, And then he can get on the side of it with the same spin and make it a little more slider and bury that into righties. It sounds like, well, from what you're telling me is that you fixed his first inning problems. So from this point on, he's just going to be dominant from the outside, from the beginning of the game. Right. Rafael, that's what you're telling me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course. No, you know, what's funny is last year when I, when I saw him struggle, it was hard because of, you know, the, the bubble and COVID. And so normally I would be able to just go to his house or go to his apartment and, and talk about these things. But because of the, you know, he had to stay away. It was, it was a little frustrating to watch, but he's got, yeah, he, he, he's got it figured out now. <laughs> uh, good to hear. Good to hear. Not, not to throw one <laughs> under the bus, but I'm going to throw one under the bus. You talked a lot of shit about that. And, and I felt un, undu, unduly so because of the COVID bubble. But one, you know, he's, he's, I think Julio redeemed himself, though, if we're honest, because I mean, look what he did at the end there at the end of the season. Yeah. And in my defense, he's a major leaguer and I'm just a fat guy who talks about sports on a podcast. <laughs> okay. So I think he's winning and I'm sure Kulichi could care less about what I have to say. It's true. But, uh, you know, either way, Rafael, thanks for taking some time uh, for joining us, man. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, oh, real quick, before oh, before go you go, Rafael, I just have to, I, I got to ask you this last question. I know you work with the Tomateros or you were down there in the Mexican League. I just got to ask you, is it true? Has there ever had a Gavacho come out of the bullpen to Hulk Hogan's I Am a Real American playing? That's a reference to Eastbound and Down for those of you are, are, of our <laughs> listeners. That's a solid. No, solid. 
So no, but we do we do have. Let me shout out my boy Derek Loop. Uh, he, he he we we coined him, or I remember calling him once. I don't know who 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 coined it, but the Gringo Lichi, and he is uh, he went to, went to Cal State LA with me. And it's crazy, you know, last time I'd, I, I saw him was in college and then I saw him once in double A and then a few years later, he signed with the Tomateros and he's made a good career down there, man. And he, you know, he just, he married a Culichi and he's got a baby girl now. So, but I'll, I'll let him know, you know, to, to make that, make that a, a reality for you. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Thanks for being a good sport about that. Oh, and, yeah, and no, no, my, my pleasure. And if you haven't watched Eastbound Down, I highly suggest it. Just sit down and watch it. It's it's hilarious. It's just it's hilarious. Um, but either way, Rafael, thank you a ton for joining us, man. Hopefully, we can have you back maybe throughout the season uh, and just kind of uh, check in, see uh, how stuff's going. And uh, most importantly, uh, if you want to follow him, it's at Rocks R O X System uh, on Twitter, and uh, and just follow him. He, he you know he, he he's a Dodger fan as well to a certain degree, but obviously because he's got lineage to 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 El Culichi that we currently have but on, the, on that end please thank you again uh for, for joining us Rafael yeah yeah my pleasure man anytime you guys uh I'd love to get on here you know anytime I'm, I'm I'm wide open let's do it let's do it I appreciate it big big thanks to Rafael Arroyo at Rock System on Twitter on Instagram for making the time giving us that dope insight and thank you the listener for coming and joining us every week we really appreciate it if you can subscribe give us feedback, the rating, the whole bit. We'd really appreciate it. But looking forward to this next week where we actually get to discuss real baseball. It's happening. It's starting, people. And I couldn't be more excited. So on that note, we're going to wrap this up once again from your boy, Alonso, your other boy, Juan, and your other boy, the big baby face gimmick in the sky, Roger. We once again thank you for tuning in to the Bleed Los podcast. Uh, check out at uh, Dodgers Beat on the Twitter machine. That's uh, That's our home base all things Dodgers they start there and uh, my Twitter handle is at the bean 818 uh, and uh, Juan's is at blue revolt film please uh, give us a follow send us any feedback DMs are open the whole bit but again until next week where we get to talk about real baseball we really appreciate you guys tuning in stay safe stay healthy and uh, and go Dodgers most importantly because it's time it's time for Dodger baseball and I couldn't be more excited so once again huge thanks for checking everything out. Stay safe and we will catch you down the road. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube